Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Good, 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 good. My name is Tony. I get to serve here as the campus pastor, and I just want to say welcome to each and every one of you. We are honored that you are here and, and a part of church this morning. Uh, in fact, we, we do say it this way often. We believe the Lord has led you here this morning. In other words, we think it's not an accident that you're here. We think that God's hand is upon you, and he is up to something special this morning. And, uh, and if you do happen to be joining us for one of the very first times, we want you to know we, we actually have a gift for you at our guest services desk, and we'd invite you to go there. After the service, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better and, and tell you a little bit more about who we are as a church. At this point in time, I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward to receive our offering. And as they come forward, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, your tremendous generosity. God is using this place in some pretty significant ways to, to impact people's lives, not only here in Shakopee and the surrounding community, but honestly throughout the entire world. And so thank you for being a, a, a part of this. <clears throat> well... If you were here last week, you heard a, an amazing sermon by Pastor Ryan Alexander if he, as he kicked off this brand new series called Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray. And over the next six weeks, we are going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. And, and what Ryan began to explain to us is there's kind of six special ingredients that go into the Lord's Prayer. And so he said, don't miss a week unless you want to taste what Jen's Sloppy Joe's tastes like, apparently. So... <clears throat> Which uh, apparently are normally good, but in case uh, they had them last week and they missed an ingredient, they weren't quite as uh, delicious as they usually are. And so I would invite you to be along with us over the next little while. And this morning, we are going to focus on kind of the second portion of the Lord's Prayer, where we see Jesus begin to explain to us that uh, we want God's will to be done in our lives. And so I'm excited to begin to, to, to capitalize on that. But if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you. To, to turn with me to, to a book called Luke. And in Luke, we see this amazing thing happen. We see a, a group of disciples, Jesus' closest followers, the people who have been nearest to him, the people who have been his closest friends, a group of, of young men who would have grown up in the synagogue, who would have grown up in, in this Hebrew nation, who would have prayed often, who would have had set times of prayer during their days. That They would have prayed in the morning at 9 and at noon, and then again at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. They would have prayed over and over and over again. They would have been taught how to pray from the earliest of ages. They would have been a, a group of men who would have had the entire first five books of the Bible memorized, inside and out. And yet, the same group of people, the same group of young men, come to Jesus, and they ask this pivotal and important question. And I want us to pick this up. It's in Luke chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 1. It says this, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. I'm going to pause there. See, what, what his disciples would have noticed, what they would have seen in, in this moment, is that they would have known that, that prayer was supposed to be a part of their lives, that they would have had these memorized prayers and prayers that they would have seen prayed over and over and over again. And yet, when they saw Jesus get away and pray, they realized that there was something different about the way Jesus prayed. 
that it was so radically different than the rest than the rest of the people they had seen praying. They came to him and said, basically, Jesus, ah, uh, I don't think we're doing this prayer thing right. Because when you seem to pray, there seems to be a different sort of conversation going on. There seems to be something else going on when you pray than when we pray. And I don't know if you've experienced this or not in your own prayer life. That at times, maybe you have wondered to yourself, like, I know I'm supposed to pray. And I feel like I do pray. But sometimes I wonder in the back of my head, am I doing it right? Did did I seem to miss a piece of the formula in which that I was supposed to pray? Because sometimes it seems like that this seems to work really, really well, and other times it doesn't seem to work quite as well. And sometimes I wonder if I didn't get the change just quite right in the vending machine, and, and I didn't get what I was going for G9, and somehow I ended up with F4, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I wanted the candy bar, not the, the, the salty treats in the machine. And I wonder if Jesus' disciples would have looked at him and been like, hmm. Jesus, there's something different about the way you pray. The way that you pray seems to work, and the way that we pray doesn't seem to be quite right. I have a, have a mentor, a friend of mine, who tells the story about one of the first times he began to, to sort of begin to wrap his head around the idea of prayer. And he said uh, he was about five years old, and the year was 1969. And he said, uh, you know, if, if it would have been today, all over the Twitter world, all over Instagram, all over Facebook would have been one topic, and one topic alone, and that was the landing on the moon. It was everywhere. It was on the TV, and it was on the radio. It was everywhere you could possibly turn around. And he said it captured his imagination. He became a huge space fan. And he remembers in all of this that was going on in front of him, he he remembers one particular night going out to his front yard. And and it was nighttime, and he looked up at the moon, and he said his dad was near him. And he said, Dad, 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 do you think if I shouted loud enough that Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldridge could hear me? And of course, he said... um, Luckily, his dad didn't say this, but he knows in the back of his dad's mind, he was thinking, oh, I'm a little concerned about my five-year-old son right now. But he said, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. He said, he, said, he looked down and he said, hey, little Jeff, like, clearly, the moon is just right there. It's, it's very, very close. I'm sure, I'm sure if you shout loud enough, uh, you, can, you can actually get a hold of them and, and talk to them. And he said, okay, cool. So he yells out really, really loud. Neil! Buzz! And of course, his dad looks down at him and says, <clears throat> Let's be polite now. Mr. Aldridge and Mr. Armstrong. Mr. Aldridge! Mr. Armstrong! Nothing. Nothing. His dad says, I got a trick. I got an idea. I'm going to run in to the house, and I'm going to get you a piece of paper, and we're going to roll it up like a cone, okay? And now that you have a cone, a megaphone, they're going to be able to hear you. And so what he does is he rolls up the cone. He says the same thing. Mr. Aldridge, Mr. Armstrong. Yes, Jeff? And he said his mouth dropped open, and his eyes got so big because someone was speaking back to him. And he said, 
how's the trip going? He said, it's going really well, Jeff. Thanks for asking. And he said, Jeff's eyes just got bigger. And he said, well, do you have any advice for me here at Earth? And then, of course, they shout back, make sure you eat your vegetables. (laughs) And he looked at his dad, and his dad said, well, you talk to him. Let's go back inside. What he didn't know is when his dad went in to get the cone, communicate to him that he also told his older brother to go up on the roof. (laughs) I need you to talk to Jeff as SU or Buzz and Neil speaking back to him. Crazy part about the story is uh, my mentor, my friend Jeff says, I can't tell you how many times I took a cone out into the front yard. Neil, Buzz, over and over again. But he said it only seemed to work that one time. I never figured it out until I was about 25 at some family reunion, and then my brother came up to me, and he's like, really? You didn't know it was me talking back to you? I will tell you, time and time again in my own life, there have been times when when I feel like I have prayed to God, and it has felt as if it has been a direct line to God. It was like the bat phone that I got immediately to God. And that he somehow miraculously changed the circumstances. He showed up and he was present and he did something in your life. But more often than not, when I've taken time to pray, it has seemed like there had been nothing but silence coming back to me. It has felt like at times that I've gotten on my knees and I've prayed and prayed and prayed. And it has just felt like those prayers had hit the ceiling and coming bounced right back to me felt just like little Jeff would have felt with that cone in his hand shouting up at Neil and Buzz to get back to him. And there was nobody on the other end of that line. And so as Jesus' disciples look at Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. I think they would have been saying, teach us to pray in a way where we know that, that this would work that we know that we would hear from the voice of God. And so he begins to outline for them this simple prayer. This prayer that I believe if we are willing to to get around, if we are willing to to get behind as a group of Christians, I believe it it will change our lives. I believe it will be a game changer for, for our marriages. I believe it will be a game changer for us as a church. I believe it could be a game changer for us as a nation if we would truly begin to pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray. And I believe it begins by us focusing on the short little phrase where it says, Not my will, but yours be done. And so I love the, the teaching in the book of Luke, but, but that little phrase doesn't happen in the book of Luke. That actually happens in the book of Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles, I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And I want us to pick up there. And I want us to begin in, in verse 5. Because in a similar way, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer, about what it means to pray. And we're going to walk through this passage slowly and pick out just a few things for us to, to, to walk through. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says this. When you pray, which immediately says to us, 
that we are supposed to pray. That it's supposed to be a regular part of our experience in a relationship with God. That we are supposed to pray more regularly than when there happens to be a pop quiz in our lives or when we see the lights go up on the police car behind us. That we are supposed to regularly pray to meet with him. And so he says, when you pray, don't be, don't be like the hypocrites. Which obviously, we're an exclusion from that. So we're fine. We don't have any hypocrites at our church, so we can, we can just keep moving along from there. Uh, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues. Now for us in, in our culture, this isn't really a temptation for us as much. We don't see a lot of people standing on the street corners and in the synagogues uh, proclaiming loud, boisterous prayers. But this would have been a common place for, for these disciples who would have grown up in first century Judaism. It would have been common for, for people to stand in the synagogues, in the public places, and to begin to pray. To pray out loud, to pray these loud prayers that included all the poetic and, and beautiful language that would have been a part of it. It would have been a showy way for them to say, look at me, I'm holy, I'm connected to God, I'm important, I'm valuable. It's not something that we oftentimes do. But this was the way that prayer was demonstrated for these young Jewish men. And so Jesus is making it clear to them, I I want you to pray differently than what you have seen demonstrated to you. And yet... I want us to think just for a second, because in a way, I think Jesus might have just for a short moment may have bruised their ego, may have said, um, you know, hey, I I want you to do something differently. Just imagine for a moment with me, let's say we're at the dinner table and you pray a prayer right before dinner and you pray, you know, dear Jesus, thank you for this food. We love you. Amen. And what if somebody at that moment you got done with your prayer, looked at you and said, hey, hey, hey. I don't think you're doing that right. And you'll be like, excuse me? Like, no, no, I just have a couple of pointers for you on how to pray differently. You'd probably look at them and be like, excuse me, I'm sorry. You, uh, the door is over here. You can see your way out at any point in time. Like, but in a way, this is what Jesus is saying to the disciples. I know you've seen prayer demonstrated this way. You've probably prayed this way. But let me begin to show you a different way to pray. continues on where everyone can see them i tell you the truth that is all the reward they will ever get this idea of a reward is something that he will come back to again later but when you pray go away by yourself shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private this would have been an interesting concept to to these young men in first century Judaism, because most houses at that point in time were a single room, and some of the houses would have had a door, and some of them wouldn't have had a door. And for them to begin to to wrap their minds around this idea that I, I want you to get away, I want you to be in private, I want you to be in a location where you can begin to separate yourself from everything else that's going on in the world. I want you to move away from the stresses of the world. I want you to put your cell phone down. I want you to move away from from the conversations and the newscasts that so easily can take your attention. And I want you to get to a place where you can focus 
focus on your heavenly father in a place where you find yourself alone with him. That's how I want you to pray. And again, I think he would have looked at the disciples and said, no, 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 you can pray anywhere. You can pray everywhere. But if you want to begin to pray prayers that work, that are powerful, that are transformative, not only for your own lives, but for the world around us, I want you to get away. I want you to make prayer a priority. And he continues on and he says, Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. And I know for me, I've read this scripture over and over again just as I've prepared for this, this message. And, it, and it's so easy for us to, to gloss over this very short verse. This idea that, that God sees everything will reward you. It, it, it kind of blows my mind. And I hope it would blow our minds if we would allow this thought to drop from our heads down to our hearts. To understand that when we begin to pray like this, when we go in private, when we, we get into our special place, a certain place, and we begin to, to speak to God, that the God of the universe, the one who's from everlasting to everlasting, the, the creator of all things, the Alpha and the Omega, he sees you. He knows you. He sees you in the moments where you get away in prayer. To meet with him. That he sees you. Your heart. Your soul. He knows you. I think this is a pivotal part of prayer. That for us to get away, that there is a heart-to-heart conversation, a soul-to-soul conversation that happens. It's so much more than a to-do list. But there is a connection That happens in prayer when we get away and we begin to to speak to God. I've shared this story before, but but it's so pivotal as we begin to explore this idea. I know, I know, I know that in the ins and outs of life, it's so easy for our prayer life to simply come down to to giving him our to-do list for the day. To say, God, I need you to, to help so-and-so and keep them safe and, oh yeah, help me along these lines with blah, 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 blah. It's the same sort of conversations that I can begin to have with my wife if I'm not careful. Like at the end of the day, our conversations come down to, all right, who picked up the boys and who's preparing dinner and what, who's got the laundry and all of those other things. But there's a radically different conversation that takes place when we get away. When we plan a, a date night, when we get a babysitter, we show up at the, at the restaurant, and we don't allow ourselves to talk about the, the bills that need to get paid and the chores that need to get done, but we begin to talk about our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations for the future, and, and, and where we are hoping to go. It's a different type of conversation. It's a different kind of conversation that oftentimes can lead to to deeper and deeper understandings of each other. And Jesus is beginning to paint this idea for us that if we will take him seriously, that if we will pray like this kind of prayer, there will be something significant that happens in those conversations when we get away and pray together. 
And then he says, and he will reward you. Which, of course, many of us in our Western culture and mindset begin to think of the reward as clearly God's going to answer that prayer. And you know that's not right, because otherwise at 17 years old you would have been driving that, uh, you know, tricked out Porsche, and you would have been like driving down the road, and you would have been with the the cutest boy and the cutest girl, and you guys would have been driving down the the freeway, and we know that's not the reward. That's not what, what he's talking about here. But there is a reward, and it's much, much better than just answering our prayers. It's much, much more important than just answering our prayers. Because if we're honest in this room, many of us might be grateful that he didn't answer certain prayers that we have prayed. That you might have ended up with the wrong person, or you would have done the wrong thing, or you maybe ended up in the wrong profession if he would have answered that prayer, and yet he didn't. And so there is a reward, but it's much, much better than just answered prayers. So he continues on. He says, when you pray... Don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. I don't know if you've experienced this before, but maybe you, like me at times, have prayed to God. And you've prayed in such a way where you are trying to get God to bend his will towards you. And you begin to maybe make some promises to God. God, if, if you will answer this prayer, I will do X, Y, and Z. If you do this, I will, I will go do whatever you need me to do. You know, I will sell everything and move to Africa and do, you know, whatever you need me to do. I just need you to bend towards me. What Jesus would have been uh, coming to, it would have been explaining to these young men, these young Jewish boys who, who would have been surrounding him. He said, I know So often when you see people begin to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues, you will begin to hear them plead to God. And they will speak in such a way and they will be so loud and they will be so persuasive and they will be so cunning that they feel like that maybe they can speak in such a way that they will begin to to bend God towards their will. They could change the, the direction of where, where God is going. And I know that many of us have probably run into people in our lives where, where they are trying to change our mind. They're being persuasive. They're being loud. They're being bold. And they're trying to, to move us in, in that direction. And he says, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want you to pray like that. I don't want you to pray in a way where, where you feel like it's on you to change God towards you, to bend him towards your will. I want you to do something different. I want you to do something different. And, and, and what he's about to say is the different part of that. Don't be like them. Because your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. He said there, there's no need to spend your time in prayer. And to begin to try and convince God of what you need and why you need it. Because there's never a time where Jesus, where God's going to look back at us and go, I'm sorry, how much did you need? Okay, tell me again, decimal point, in oh, okay, exactly that much. That's what you needed? And you need them to, to turn towards you? Okay. He's never surprised. He's never shocked by that. He knew that before 
you even started in this prayer. And so I'm sure the disciples, like you and me, are like, okay, well, if our job in prayer isn't to inform God of what we need or what he needs to do in the world, then what's the point of prayer? That's how I spend so much of my time in prayer. Well, we're about to get there. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. Ryan did an amazing job last week speaking about this idea of our Father. That Jesus, at this moment, was with his disciples, and he would have said, our Father. He never would have said, my Father, that, that this is my God, that he would have said that he is our Father, he is all of our fathers, and this is an important piece of the puzzle. As many of you know, I have a son. His name is Samuel. And uh, one of my favorite moments with Samuel was we were driving in the neighborhood. And uh, there is a a group of uh, girls, mostly middle school girls, who who think he's like the cutest thing on the face of the planet. He's a lucky boy. And, um, of course, we're driving. It's a summer day. And the windows are down. And uh, out of nowhere, he shouts, Hey, ladies! I'm like, oh, oh. Oh boy, I, uh, uh, yeah, okay, we got a lot to learn. And uh, as quickly as we can pull into the driveway, he jumps out of his car seat and he gets over there and he runs over to, to meet uh, all of his ladies. And, uh, and he's uh, talking with them and he's getting connected with them. And, uh, and I kind of run over there just to see if everything's okay and if it's okay if he's like over there. And, and he, he stops and he, he looks at me and he says, ladies, I just want to introduce you to my daddy. And, uh, and so he, he looks at me like this, like, shake their hands. I'm like, oh, okay. So I go down and I shake each and every one of their hands all the way down the list, you know, because he wants to be properly introduced. Uh, but what Jesus does is different than my son Samuel. He doesn't say, hey, let me introduce you to, to my daddy. I want you to go to prayer to our daddy, our father. The one who is the God of all children, who is our Father in heaven. And he uses this word Father, this word Abba, this word that would have uh, communicated intimacy, it would have communicated connection, it would have communicated proximity and closeness to him. But there's another word that I want us to think about as we continue on in this prayer. Because fathers in that first century would have also held this other word, and the word is authority. That as they begin to address this God of heaven, that he would have held authority in their lives, that he would have said to them, what you're going to about to experience is somebody who knows exactly what your next best step is in life. And he wants the best for you, but he also should be in a position where he should be able to tell you where to step, how to step, and what your next best move might be. And so he continues on. Father in heaven... May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I don't know about you, but I know I feel like I have a little bit of a kingdom in this world. 
that I feel like uh, I, I have a way that I want things to turn out and I want things to work in such a certain way. And one of the biggest problems with the reason my kingdom isn't working exactly the way I feel like it should be working is just because the people in my kingdom don't realize that I'm the king. And in your world, they just don't realize you're the king or you're the queen. And if they would just listen to you, if they would just see things from your perspective, we could go in the right direction. And as Jesus is looking at his disciples, saying, I I know that you have a kingdom. I know that you have dreams. I know that you have aspirations. I know that you have a direction in which you want the world to go and where you want your life to go. But when you begin to address your heavenly father in prayer, we need to recognize who he is. He's the God of the universe. That he's created everything. That he's the one who's given you breath in your lungs. He's the one who sustains you and holds you. When you come before him, don't begin by speaking about your kingdom. And what you want out of your kingdom. And why things aren't working just the right way in your kingdom. I want you to begin by speaking to your heavenly father who holds all things in his hand. I want you to begin to say, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom that that started far beyond the beginning of time and will last far beyond my lifetime. Your kingdom that has gone from generation to generation. Your kingdom where we see you continue to bring goodness and love into this world. May may your kingdom come. And may your will be done. Because I know so often... I want my will to be done in this world. I want my will above his will. I want my will to to be done in all of these different circumstances in my life. And what he says to us is say, no, pause. Come to a place of surrender where we allow his will to be done in our lives. And ultimately, it's this short little phrase, this short little prayer that will ultimately probably be the timetable in in which we spend in prayer. Because it's not until we can get to a place where we say, your will be done, not my will be done. Where we surrender our wills to his will. That we can begin to pray the way Jesus taught us to pray. And friends, I have to tell you that this has been the place where I've been praying the most recently. I know that many of you know that uh, I'm in the process of transitioning out of this role as a, as a campus pastor and joining a great organization with Feed My Starving Children. And as I've prayed and I've sought the face of God over and over and over again, I've gotten to this place where, where I've tried to hold on to the steering wheel and say, I want my will to be done. And God has looked at me and said, no, open up your hands and say, let my will be done. Because when we do this, we see that the kingdom of God is expanded in so many different ways that we see goodness brought out of this, that we see the ultimate rescue plan taking place. See, Jesus himself actually prayed this out loud in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he is about to go to the cross. 
He said he sat in the garden and he prayed all night that ultimately he got to a place where he could say, your will be done, not my will be done. It's been this letting go that I've begun to see God show up to rescue us, to move us forward. It's amazing when we can get to a place where we surrender our wills to what God has for us, that we begin to see his kingdom expanded and grown and sent off in many, many ways. It's oftentimes the times where we stop trying to convince God, convince God of what his will should be, and we allow him to just have his will with our lives. That he shows up and does some pretty amazing things. When I was in high school, I, I served as a lifeguard. And, uh, and I will tell you, as a high school student, there are few jobs that are more boring than being a lifeguard at a pool. Particularly when there's swimming lessons taking place. You're like, there's people that, what, what? And I remember sitting in, at pool decks, holding my little lifeguard thing, hour upon hour, sweating profusely as you do on the pool deck. And being bored, pretty much, for the most part, in, in my mind. But there was one thing I learned about being a lifeguard, and it's a fascinating uh, stat. It says that um, most adults, if they ever slip below the surface of the water, they can only last just a few moments below the surface of the water, because what they do is they frantically try and swim their way up to the top. They... they just try and use every bit of muscle and, and strength that they can to get back to the surface of the water. And in doing so, they use up every last bit of oxygen that's in them to try and get to the top. And so they just last a few moments below the surface of the water. But there's something amazing that happens when children slip below the surface of the water. See, children, when they slip below the surface of the water, they have this inerrant ability to trust to trust that someone's going to save them. That a mom, a dad, a lifeguard is going to jump in and to rescue them. And so as they slip below the surface of the water, they begin to relax. They let go. They surrender. And so they can last many, many more moments below the surface of the water. I remember the one moment in my lifeguarding career where I, I actually did something. And I remember seeing this little girl in a brown swimming suit with blue polka dots. She had these deep blue eyes. And I remember seeing her slip below the surface of the water and her hand was just out. She wasn't moving. She wasn't frantically moving in the water. She was just looking up at me. Save me, rescue me, come for me. What I feel like God would say to us is in our own lives, as we are trying to bend God towards our will, I think he would look at all of us and say, will you just surrender your will to me? Will you allow me to show up to rescue you in this moment? to bring life out of this moment, to bring hope out of this moment, to bring love out of this moment. For me to do the unexpected, 
for me to do more than you could ever hope or imagine. In your tough circumstances, in the difficult places where you are begging him to be there, would you surrender your will to his? As we step into this next season, I think that'll be the challenge for all of us. To say, God, not my will for Hosanna Shakopee, not my will for my family, not my will for my life, but your will for Hosanna Shakopee, for, for my family, for all of our lives. May we see your kingdom come as we surrender our wills to yours. What I'm going to ask you to do now might pull you just a little bit out of your comfort zone. What I'm going to ask us all to do is, if you would, would you stand? Will you get close enough to the person next to you that you can hold each other's hands? Might cause you to spread out just a little bit. What I want us to do is I want us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. What we are going to do is as we get to that place where we say, Your will. I want us just to pause for, for a moment. And then we'll continue in the prayer. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.